So I have read that one of the qualities of a good teacher is they will tell you what they're going to teach. They will teach you what they're going to teach. And then they will remind you what they taught. And so this morning, I am impressed as I am often with what the Lord does and how um, when I saw the worship list at some point yesterday and saw the song, Is He Worthy? Because today, um, one of the questions that we are going to ask during this message is, Is He Worthy? And we're going to look at perspectives that may make us question that. And we're going to close with one of our questions being, is he worthy? I was also impressed by the fact when I opened up the prayer bulletin today and saw the prayer focus was Psalm 121. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read uh, the whole passage. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. And so the other thing we're going to talk about today is this idea of reminder, of being reminded, of being stirred up to remembrance, to recalling. And Psalm 121 is a psalm of ascent. The, the Israelites would have sung this song as they approached the temple. And if you'll notice, it's, it's almost like a responsive reading or a responsive song because in the first two verses, it's my, my, my. And then for the rest of the passage, it is your, your, your. And so you could almost envision the first person saying, I look up to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so the first person is reminding the group that our help comes from an all-powerful God, powerful enough to create heaven and earth. And then the response is the the Lord does not sleep. Who keeps you will not sleep. He will not sleep. He's present. They're being reminded that our help comes from the all-powerful God. And then the next reader or singer is saying, is reminding the group that he is present. And then we keep seeing this word keep and keep and keep and keep. And not only is our God, are we reminded that our God is powerful, that our God is present, but our God loves us and he keeps us and he protects us. He is our protector. So with that in mind, we're going to look at this idea of reminder and, and, and what we need to be reminded of. 
There's a lot going on in these four passages. Uh, I've shared with some of you before, when I approach Scripture, I do this every every Sunday, uh, when whoever reads the Scripture, um, I actually pull up my iPad, and as I'm reading along, I circle words or phrases that jump out at me. I'm looking for patterns, I'm looking for key words, so I can kind of focus on, okay, what kind of things am I expecting the Lord to potentially say during the sermon. I do the same thing with GC. I do the same thing when I'm studying on my own. And so as I was preparing for this, I saw two patterns emerge. One of these patterns was as long as I am in this body, the putting off of my body will be soon and after my departure. There was this pattern. And that kind of led me to the first life truth we're going to talk about today is that our bodies are perishable and our lives are temporary. Peter is keenly aware of this, that his time is fleeting and that his time is short. He even says, I know my time is short. Even the word that Peter uses for body is actually the word for tent or tabernacle. And as we know, tents are not permanent abodes. You know, we don't typically live our lives in a tent. We don't, you know, buy property, set up a tent, and weather life there. Tents are temporary. And so even the choice of this word, Peter is expressing how temporary and fleeting he knows his life is. We all too often, I all too often, take for granted the time that we have here. A couple of years back, prior to the pandemic, uh, both of my parents, within the course of about 10 days, ended up in the emergency room. And with, ex- with oh, well, extended is not the word I want to look for, but they were in the hospital each several days. So in the course of 10 days, both of my parents were hospitalized. Um, and for the first time in my life, I was faced with the fragility of my parents. I had never really thought about, you know, one day my parents won't be there. My parents have always been there for my whole entire life. Just, I take for granted. Um, You know, my dad's the kind of dad that, like, there have been times I've been working on my car, and, like, I was getting frustrated working on it. I wasn't able to figure it out. And I just called my dad to come over. I mean, he wasn't going to help me do anything. But just kind of the idea of him being there somehow made me more at peace at what I was working on in the car. And so I was faced with, oh, my goodness, what what if my dad doesn't come home from the hospital? What if my mom doesn't come from the hospital? And I can tell you, um, I realized I had taken my parents for granted. I probably didn't visit them as much as I should. I didn't call them as much as I should. They don't live that far away. I really don't have an excuse. Um, and so for the next several weeks, either Rachel or myself ended up like living with them to take care of them because that's how, even when they came home, how fragile they were. And, and really, to be honest, going on, on, I guess, our third year now, one or both of us is over there at least once a week. Um, to help them out. And so coming to grips with the temporary fleeting life of my parents changed my perspective. And as we go through uh, these four verses, I hope 
that we can get a perspective of the fragility of our lives and the temporariness of our lives, and it shaped the decisions that we make. It also reminds me, back when I was in high school, I would hear teachers make the comments, so many of you are making decisions to please people that you will probably never see again in your life. There's this like four-year period of time of high school that seems like forever, and we make decisions, we make choices, we, we change our behaviors, we do things that may or may not be wise to impress or be accepted by people we may never see again. I even remember there was a poster on the wall that the people you're trying to impress you will probably never see again. And, and at least for me, that's kind of turned out to be true. I think I, out of a class of like 301 people, I've seen like two of them um, in 30 years and since I graduated. But we make poor choices. We make poor priorities when we confuse the temporary with the permanent. Whether it's a four-year period of our lives or whether it's the entirety of our lives, we often make mistakes in our priorities and our purpose because we take our lives and our time for granted. We see this in churches. There are pastors who get distracted from the permanency of the gospel and they start chasing after the trends of the day. I mean, people write books like, this is how you grow your church. You know, do these things. Have this kind of website. Name your church this. Uh, some of y'all may be familiar with, with Craig Rochelle. Um, he pastors probably the biggest church in America. Um, but nobody knows that for a fact because one of the things that he and his elders have done from day one is they don't count people because they know that will affect the way they make decisions. And he jokes about when people approach him about the growth of his church, their church is lifechurch.tv. And he says there are people who he knows of who changed their church websites to .tv because somehow that was the magic thing that grew their churches. And, and, and that's a focus on the temporary of number of people in the seats as opposed to the permanency of the gospel. I can honestly say when I look at public pastors, not just celebrity pastors, but pastors that I see on social media who, you know, aren't the, the, the big names, but, but they have a, a strong social media presence. Far too many of them, I know what their perspectives are on politics and social issues far more than I know what their perspective is on the gospel. And that is concerning. We need to live our lives through the lens that life is, relatively speaking, very short. And when we grasp this, this understanding will give us three things. First, it will give us perspective. And, and just by way of administration, uh, this is my fault. When I sent out the, um, the bulletin, in both places you see verse 13. Uh, if you're going to take notes, it's verse 12 and 13 is what that's going to refer to, because uh, I realized I, I, I made that mistake. But the first thing this understanding gives us is, is perspective. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. So first... What are these qualities? Well, David preached on those two weeks ago. Josh reminded them 
of us last week. And those are in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says we know these. And yet he wants to remind us. He wants to stir us up. He wants us to recall. When we think temporarily, when we think of ourselves... We want people to remember our pithy sayings and our witty comebacks. We want people to know how many followers we had on Instagram or how many likes or thumbs ups or how many views. We get swallowed up. When we think of the temporary, we get swallowed up in in the trend to find new things. Like somehow I'm going to go into these verses and I'm going to find something to share with you guys that nobody else has discovered in 2,000 years. There's this pressure to come up with the new. Um, there was this thing that was big like in the 90s. I don't know if it still is, but it was. there was one, I think it was called the Bible Code. Another one was called the Signature of God. And people would run the Bible through these computer algorithms because they were going to find the hidden meaning of the Bible. And you had people chasing the hidden meaning of the Bible who weren't even following the obvious meaning of the Bible. They were wanting to know, did the Bible predict who the president was going to be in 2026? That wouldn't be right. 2024. When they weren't even loving their neighbor as Christ loved us. They weren't loving God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul. But this is the thing I like about Peter's perspective. Peter's not looking to win arguments. He's not looking to make points. His perspective, his purpose is to remind, to stir up, for us to recall the permanent thing of the gospel. But see, not only is our perspective affected, but realizing that our lives are temporary, that they're relatively short, that we are fragile in the universe of things, it gives us urgency. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. We can often be pro-cat... Just a side note, I am going to start a game show called Kevin Pronounces Multisyllabic Words. And people, the contestants have to guess what I'm saying. We can often be procrastinators. But if you really think about it, procrastination is arrogance. 
It is the arrogant view that God somehow owes me the opportunity to do tomorrow what I should have done today. Yeah, it hurt me too. Peter is making this plea knowing that he has very few tomorrows left. So you know when he is choosing his words, he's choosing them wisely. Think about it. If you knew that you only had tomorrow, what would you share with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, with strangers? And here, Peter, knowing he has very few tomorrows left, is saying, I want you to remember gospel living. Oh, that our prayer would be Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. How different would our actions be if we did not take tomorrow for granted? If we understood how limited our lives were. The third thing that I think we realize when we realize that our lives are temporary and and our lives are not the permanent thing, we get foresight. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. It gives us foresight. In the light of his pending death, Peter focuses on his legacy. Not about people remembering him, but about remembering the gospel. He has the foresight to know that he will depart, but the words of hope, the words of truth, and the good news of the gospel will remain. When we realize we won't always be here, we think more on what we really want to leave behind. Some may want to leave behind a monument, to have a statue, to have their names written in the history book. But for Peter, as it should be for us, he wanted to be the legacy of the truth of God. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You will bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What legacy are we leaving? What is our foresight? Are we, are we leaving to our children, to our families, to our friends? Are we leaving a legacy of the gospel? Are we taking the moments to see God at work in our lives? So you know what? Uh, our kid may remember when 
we went on a vacation trip or to a sporting event or to an activity, but did we find a way along the way to see God active in those things where God offered protection or God offered wisdom or God offered grace and make those connections? Psalm 78, 1 through 4, Give an ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable and I will utter dark sayings from old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but we will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and His wonders that He has done. See, here's again an example of we know these things, but we are going to remind our children and we're going to remind the following generations. And so this leads to the second pattern I saw in this passage. Intend always to remind you of these qualities. Stir up by way of reminder, recall these things. So on one hand, our lives are perishable. But now we're going to talk about the permanent. Our legacy, good or bad, will potentially affect others for a few generations. But the gospel will endure forever. When Billy Graham is long and forgotten. The people whose lives were changed and the people they discipled and the people they discipled who maybe never would have ever heard of Billy Graham, the gospel will remain long after he's forgotten. The gospel you and I share will remain long after you and I are forgotten. So when we understand not only that we are perishable, but the gospel is permanent, this understanding affects three things. It affects our intentionality. Peter says, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter intends to remind. This does not happen by accident. Friends, We don't disciple our children if we don't intend to. We're not going to accidentally disciple our children. We are not going to pastor our families by accident. We're going to do that if we intend to. We are not going to accidentally end up with a group of coworkers or friends talking about the gospel. We intend to do that. It is it is far easier to watch a movie or play a game with my kids than it is to disciple them. I could accidentally have the TV on, and next thing I know, we've been watching something for 30 minutes. I can pull up one reel on Instagram and accidentally 30 minutes later realize, oh my gosh, I've wasted 30 minutes of my life. I can accidentally drift into conversations about sports or movies or politics but I'm not going to accidentally drift into conversations about the gospel. We need to have intention. We need to be intentional in our reminding, both in doing it and what we are reminding. Because that's the thing we've got to be careful of. We don't need to just be intentional about doing it, but we need to be intentional about what we're reminding. Because it is too easy to 
drift into a political gospel or an American gospel as opposed to the gospel of the living God. Paul warns Timothy of this. 1 Timothy 5, 7, or 5, 1 through 7. 1 Timothy 1, 5 through 7. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they say or the things about which they make confident assertions. It is very easy for us to get off on a tangent, to have vain discussions. And we need to be intentional not to do that. We need to be stirring up, not stirring the pot. And when we do this, it will affect our actions. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you're doing them, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Jude uh, verse 5 puts it this way. Now I want to remind you, although you already fully knew it. Romans 15, 14 through 15 puts it this way. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace God has given me. Philippians 3.1 Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is of no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. It's safe for us to be reminded. 1 John 2.21 I write you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lies in the truth. Over and over and over again, we see the apostles answering the call to remind, to remind, to bring to remembrance, to help us recall. Sometimes, a lot of times, we simply need to be reminded of what we already know. We need to be reminded that God is faithful when we don't feel that. We need to be reminded that he is powerful. We need to be reminded that he is present. We need to be reminded that salvation is a free gift so that no man may boast. We need to be reminded that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We need to be reminded that God will never forsake us. We need to be reminded that but for the grace of God, you and I would be like those people we are tempted to look down upon or to judge. Often we already know the truth, but the darkness of life and the darkness of our flesh distract us from the truth. And we need people in our lives who are going to remind us of the truth of the gospel. In our deepest valleys and in our highest peaks, we often find ourselves in need of remembrance. Lastly, it affects our end game. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, 
since I know that I am putting off my body, uh, the putting off my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, my exodus, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter will not simply stir up the minds of his readers during his life, but he wants to give full attention to making sure that they will recall these things when he is gone. What is your end game and what is my end game? Is it to have the best life now? Is it to enjoy life to the fullest? Is it to have our 15 minutes of fame? Robert Coleman says this. I don't even know who Robert Coleman is, but I wanted to give him credit because it was his quote. One must decide if he wants his ministry to count in the momentary applause of popular recognition or the reproduction of his life in a few chosen people to carry on his work after he's gone. What do you want when, when it's all said and done, when we're gone? Do you want to be remembered for that 15 minutes of fame, that time that everybody gave you applause or, you know, you, <laughs> you went viral? Or do you want to, the remembrance to be that you invested the gospel in someone or several people's lives and they invested the gospel in someone in several people's lives, and they invested the gospel in someone in several people's lives. So here's the gospel plea. We need to live our lives properly discerning the difference between that which is perishable and that which is permanent. Living in light of the gospel helps us do that. We need to live our lives properly discerning the difference between that which is perishable and that which is permanent. And the gospel will help us do that. So we opened with John 21, 15 through 9, 19. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, do, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because the Lord had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. But he doesn't stop there. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show the kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, understand this. Jesus said, he didn't say, come and follow me, 
it's going to be awesome. He said, there's coming a day that you are not going to like. Come and follow me. See, Peter shares this stirring up, this reminder, in the context of knowing that his time is near. Now, this may refer to some undocumented in Scripture time Jesus said, okay, a week, in a week, it's a week, you got a week left. But most likely it's referring back to this interaction in John, where at the start of his ministry, at his commissioning, he was told, there's an end coming, and it's not going to be the most pleasant end. From day one, Peter served knowing how it was going to end. But he loved him anyway. He followed him anyway. He served him anyway. Uh, some of y'all may know the story of Jeremy and Melissa Camp. Jeremy Camp, Christian music singer, um, you know, pretty popular, good worshiper, great voice. Um, and uh, he met the love of his life at college. Um, when he proposed to her, she had been diagnosed with cancer. Um, they got married. On their honeymoon, she fell very ill. They took her to the hospital, and the doctor said, I need to let you know, here like a day after your honeymoon, your wife has weeks, maybe months, to live. And his wife died five months after their wedding date. And Jeremy Camp tells the story that he said to God, you took her, take my life too. I don't want to go on. And God said, no. He said, she never stopped worshiping me when she got this diagnosis. When she wasn't strong enough to get off the couch, she would raise her feeble hands and worship to me. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to worship me. And even though the Lord had taken his wife of five months, Jeremy Camp led Melissa's family in worshiping him. I can't even imagine. David, I'm going to put you on the spot. I hope you don't mind. I didn't warn you about this. David uh, has been honest with us several times in uh, his preaching that you know, he had to wait 10 years to be a pastor, to be a senior pastor. And he has said that was hard. And it was the grace of God. But let me ask you a question, David. What if at the end of the 10 years, when this opportunity three years ago happened, and you said, okay, God, I, th- I think this is the time I'm praying about it. And God said, you know what, David? I-, I don't want you to, I want you to wait another 10 years. Would you have still followed him? Yes, you would have. And, and, and I think that's why God has so blessed your pastorship at our church because you waited with grace for 10 years. Because there's a lot of people that when they were told they were going to have to wait would have walked away. Said, you know what? It's not worth it, God. Or they would have just tried to make it happen. But, but God knows that David's heart is not about being pastor at Agape. It's about serving God. He served him for 10 years as associate pastor. When he wanted, when he wanted to be pastor. And so, that's the question I have for you guys. What's that thing 
that you, that temporary thing that's part of our temporary life that makes us tempted to say, God, I will follow you this far, but no farther. What is that thing that, that God, if you don't answer this prayer for me, if you don't do this thing for me, you are no longer worthy of my worship. You are no longer worthy of me following you. What is that one prayer we've asked that you're like, God, if you don't answer this, I don't know that I can follow you anymore. I can tell you there are a couple of things over the last 10 years that Heather and I have had the conversation of. If this, if God doesn't do this, or if this turns out in the worst way, will we still worship and follow God? Will we still be able, if God does not come through in this scenario, are we still willing to worship God? It's a very real and hard question. I want, I want to read to you the lyrics of a song that, that Jeremy Camp wrote after his wife died. Scattered words and empty thoughts seem to pour from my very heart. I've never felt so alone before. Seems I don't know where to start. But it's now that I feel your grace falls like rain from every fingertip washing away my pain. I still believe in your faithfulness. I still believe in your truth. I still believe in your holy word. Even when I don't see, I still believe. As the worship team comes up and the prayer partners come over here, the only way Jeremy Camp could sing that song is he understood the temporary of what he was going through in his life versus the permanency of his relationship with God and the gospel. This morning I have two specific calls to prayer. One of them is this. If you have some temporary burden or desire that is holding you back from the Lord, something that you would say, God, I can follow you this far and no further. If it's something you're struggling with, I would encourage you to either come to the altar or join one of the prayer partners and pray with them and let them bring up the remembrance of what is permanent versus what is perishable. If there's anything in your life that if God doesn't do it for you, you don't know that you can continue to worship the Lord. I ask you to come lay that down. The second thing I have felt impressed almost from the day that I, I, I knew I was going to preach on this date is this. If you are struggling with the idea that God could love you, uh, if you are either saved and struggling with this or you are are not saved, and you're like, well, God could never save me because he couldn't love somebody like me. If you are saved and not experiencing the joy of your salvation because you're questioning how could God love somebody like me, if you, if, if there is anything in you that is questioning how much God loves you, 
I want to let you know that Romans 5 is for you, and I would encourage you to go home and read Romans 5. Because what Paul does in Romans 5 is this. He says over and over and over again that sin is powerful and sin reigns. But every time he mentions the fact that sin is powerful or sin reigns, he counters that with the grace of God reigns more. It reigns all the more. It reigns even more. And so if that's you... I think what the Lord wants you to know that there is no dam so high that sin can build that the grace of God cannot overwhelm it and reach you. And so if that's you, I would encourage you to join one of these prayer partners who I promise you will remind you that the grace of God is more than enough, that it abounds all the more. Father God, may we humble ourselves before your word. May we humble ourselves to you in worship and in prayer. May we yield this all to you in Jesus' name.